right, welcome back to another episode of the Strategy Inside Everything. This is a big one. This is one I've been working on for quite a while to get scheduled, and uh, we have had a lot of back and forth here making this happen. But I'm really happy to welcome Mike Manello from Campfire. Can I still say from Campfire, Mike? Yes, definitely. Awesome, very good. And really glad that we we're able to make this work. We had some uh, some scheduling fun, which seems to be the norm, I guess. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my, my absolute pleasure. Uh, Mike and I spoke a few years ago uh, via Twitter. I just sent him a note that said, hey, I would love to hear how you do this. He uh, humored me by getting on the phone with a couple of people from the agency and walking through the process um, a little bit. And I thought, ooh, let's do a deep dive. Uh, and once you learn who Mike is, I think you're going to really like this topic. So, uh, Mike, if you wouldn't mind, uh, for the listeners who are not familiar with it, you or your work, would you give people a little sense of who you are and where you've been? Sure. I um I entered this business in a probably unusual route. I started off going to film school and uh, was an independent filmmaker. And in the late 90s, I was fortunate to be one of the uh, five guys from Florida who made the Blair Witch Project. And coming out of that, I was absolutely in love with telling stories online. Um particularly to an audience and sort of in real time um, that just completely changed my perception of storytelling altogether. And I wanted to do more of it. And uh, in a weird way, despite the success of Blair Witch Project, uh, Hollywood was still not interested in really funding anything online. They were still viewing the internet as an, as a place where they advertise movies and they don't want, they didn't want to think about it in advance. But um the ad industry started calling. We started getting calls from ad agencies and from uh, brands wanting help uh, to figure out, uh, in particular, the digital side of things. I think they saw Blair Witch and they just kind of went, those guys seem to know what they're doing, uh, even though we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and called us up. And so uh, worked on a few projects with ad agencies. And over the course of that, realized that it felt like there was an opportunity for a company that would specialize in the kind of storytelling that the internet seemed to be better suited for. And so Campfire formed out of that. And um, we've been uh, basically working with clients uh, since then to um, look at, at the internet as well as physical space and uh, create the experience of stories is kind of how I describe it. And it's been a blast and we've been fortunate to work with um, some amazing clients and to be able to play with some incredible stories. So we do a lot of work with HBO. We launched season one of True Blood and we've worked uh, and, and season one of Game of Thrones and we've done work on Westworld. Uh, we do work with Discovery Channel. We're doing some, uh, we did some recent work with Sci-Fi Channel that was so, so much fun and we've got some things brewing uh, in the mix coming up for uh, San Diego Comic-Con. So, uh, and all of these uh, run, you know, across all different platforms, whether it's digital or physical, but all of it's really rooted in, in kind of creating the experience of the story. That's awesome. Thank you for running through that. Uh, you said a couple things, but before, we, before I start grilling you with uh, questions, I wanted to um, just the idea of storytelling. Today's topic is really not about uh, storytelling in itself. It's not about you know, the creative of a story that we write for a brand or to tell a story and then we put it out in the world. 
uh, what Mike and I are going to discuss today is actually how do you craft a story that someone wants to retell? How do you seed it so that they want to go tell someone else uh, and create some, I, I don't like the word viral, and I'm sure Mike would probably make sure you're hives. <laughs> what do you, what's the strategy behind making it interesting enough for someone to pick up a piece and hand it to someone else? Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the secret. That's the big secret. Actually, it's not a secret. It's, um, it's really hard to do and it's very unique. And I think there's, I don't, know, I don't like the term best practice. I think there's some things that uh, maybe principles, design principles that uh, can work that are jumping off points, but ultimately there's um, like all great storytelling, right? Like, like uh, there's a reason that not every movie is a hit and some movies come out bad. No one starts out to make a bad movie, but sometimes it ends up that way. And I think it's the same thing. The difference is, is that, um, and why I talk about the experience of stories is that you really have to shift your mindset away from the act of telling the story because the internet in particular is participatory and our culture is participatory. And so when we think about a story, we're thinking about how do we make people experience the story, right? So for instance, if I wanted to tell a conspiracy narrative, right, which is a kind of a popular genre, um, if I'm a storyteller, I'm going to create a, a whole, you know, Mission Impossible style uh, conspiracy story, and it's going to be complex and convoluted, and there's going to be players, and you're going to learn uh, the uh, conspiracy will unfold through watching a character, and you'll eventually learn about it. Uh, if I was going to do it the, the campfire way or, you know, in, in a way that's designed to be shared, I would actually come at it from the point of view of like, how how can we make the conspiracy actually touch people? Right. So instead so of how do find, I tell you, find a way in that I, that I actually get to experience or observe? Yes. Instead of just telling me the, the 30 second story or the 60 second story. Yes. Before you realize it, how can I make you, how can I, how can I make it so that you feel like you're living the story rather than passively uh, receiving it? Um, and so what's the, how do you, we could stick with the idea of, of a conspiracy story or um, if you have examples that you can pull from, um, how do you create those seeds or how do you figure out what, what is meaningful to be observed with versus what is passive? You know, what I'll, what I'll just consume. You have a right. so just now. You've been doing this for long enough to have a, a gut feel about what people will pick up and what they'll let go past. Yeah, yeah. There's an aspect to that. So there's a lot of different things, right? I mean, I think the first thing is that um, as humans, right, we're hardwired to complete stories, right? So so when we look at things, it's kind of funny if you stop and think about how many stories we make up to understand the world around us. You know, you've ever had that experience when you've been in a, in a bus or a subway train or just walking in the streets and you see something and you're kind of like, well, that was curious and it caught your attention. And then maybe in your head, you start to develop a story about why those people were doing that thing that you saw. Right. And maybe you pick it up from bits of conversation you overheard, plus what you observed. And 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 you might walk away thinking you have an understanding of it, but really uh, probably most of it was just made up in your head because our brains like stories and they like to understand the world through stories. So um, you start to realize what I need to do is create a gap sometimes. Like maybe I need to put something out in the world that causes a little bit of cognitive dissonance and makes you kind of cock your head a little bit and go, wait, what? And And the story starts to appear. And if I can hit you up next with some something deeper or some place to go that's deeper, I've 
kind of before you know it, you're kind of you're digging into a story that's been put out there rather than me trying to tell you, hey, come and experience this story. You you mentioned creating a gap, and uh, that's a that's a technique that I've heard before, uh, and and tried to to execute myself before. But do you know where the right place is to create the gap, or how do you figure out how much of the story do you write, and how much of the story do you let be open and interpreted? Right. And how do you figure out how to pace that? Is that a function of the platforms or is that a function of the, the specific audience that you're hitting? Or is it a function of it, maybe a brand or a, just a story? So. It's all those things, right? It's all those things. So you think about what's what story are we trying to tell? Who are we trying to reach? Um, what do they want? What do we want them to take away? And so sometimes sometimes you're using traditional ad space, right? You might use out of home in a way that's uh, a little bit less kind of bam, here's a product, take a look and something that's a little bit more, you know, makes you lean in. Um, so, and sometimes we're take we're, we're using place and not only place, but also culture, right? So for example, um, I go back a few years, there was a, a, a show on Cinemax called Hunted and uh, we actually launched that with a piece of out of home. So Hunted is a, cons- was a conspiracy uh, a story. And, um, it was, it involved in the, in the, in the show, it involved a company that provided very high end security for high wealth individuals and very important people, right? And, um, at the time we were about to launch was also the first anniversary of Occupy Wall Street. And so we knew that there were going to be protests and things out on, uh, Wall Street again. And so we bought a very targeted out of home buy that basically hit lower Manhattan, basically around the financial district. And, uh, and there was a very provocative ad for our company that was engaged in this conspiracy. And it had a tagline that said, we're not for everyone, just the 1% that matters. And then it had a URL and it was extremely provocative. And we're sitting there going, okay, this is a, this is, this is a sense of a prop. I think the people who are, who are out there are going to use this as a prop. Um, it's going to be photographed. It's right there. Um, and, and it's so provocative that people are going to go, who would dare do this? Right. So, and I think, right, that, yeah, yeah. I think but the narrative was open enough that I think e- e- anyone could embrace it. You know, if you're a wall streeter heading to the office, you might look at it and perceive that as one way. And if you were an Occupy Wall Streeter, you might look at that as, um, as brazen evidence that there's more work to be done. Um, you know, it, 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 it didn't, it didn't really, uh, plant a flag in the ground. It was just extremely provocative. And the one thing it would make you do is go to that URL. And once you went to the URL, you were suddenly, you're engaged in, in the story, you know? So, so that's, that's a very interesting example. Yeah. I think that's, that's one example of, of ways to do it. There's, um, but I think you can do it just about any way. Um, and, and a lot of it depends on, again, the type of story you're telling, who you're trying to reach, where you're trying to reach. We've done projects where we're trying to reach a very uh, targeted group of people to start something, right? And so a lot of times I think when people think about participation, what they're really aiming for is they kind of want, you know, uh, some, they want some kind of mass movement where everybody in the world is doing something, but you don't start there. You know, everything starts small. And so you start with kind of a highly engaged first group of people and you get them going and then you work to build on, on what they're doing. So 
oftentimes, you know, and, and we're fortunate enough, we work with a lot of entertainment companies, in particular um, cable companies. So we do a lot of television marketing. So oftentimes we're playing with narratives and worlds that have been built by the show creators. Um, and so you're looking at that and you're going, if it's a brand new show that nobody knows, um, we might be looking at that and going, okay, who are the type of people that might be interested in this and how do we reach them in a way that they're going to think is, is really cool and unique. And so, you know, that might, that might determine, uh, uh, whether it's a piece of content or whether it's an experiential event or whether it's something digital or whether it's in the paid advertising space or how we kind of launch, you know, sometimes we launch things with influencer marketing. That's very different. It's not the kind of paid, you know, let's find someone with lots of followers and pay them to use our brand on their Instagram feed type influencer marketing. But it might be one where we actually craft a prop that's designed to encourage someone to tell a story and we send it out to people and then they get it and they end up making, you know, YouTube videos and their, and their YouTube videos might be something as simple as they, they believe they're unboxing something, but in the course of unboxing something for their fans, uh, they're telling our story. And are they in on it or do you just you kind of do a blind so that they, they dig in and they're uncovering it too in their own channel? We tend to, we tend to try to keep it as blind as possible. What we tend to do is, uh, if, if it's if it's for something, you know, the way we look for influencers is not uh, who's got the most followers. It's actually more, uh, you know, if we're doing an entertainment property, for example, we might look for people who have expressed a passion for that entertainment property. And then then we look to see, you know, do they have status in a community? And then we might reach out to them and say, hey, we're representing, you know, client X. Uh, would you, we'd like to send you something related to, you know, possibly we might mention the show, uh, but we'd like to send you something related to the show. Are you willing to receive it? And if they say yes, then we get their information where they want it mailed to. And then that's usually it. And we don't, we don't want to steer the conversation. We don't want to tell them what we want them to say. We don't send talking points because it's just, it's a real story if they tell it from their own words. And if we've done our job right, we've, we've steered it through the, the creation of the prop that we're sending them. Right, right. You, You've done enough. Yeah. Like for, for Man in the High Castle, we did a project called Resistance Radio for Man in the High Castle, right? Which is uh, uh, Man in the High Castle is a Philip K. Dick uh, uh, alternate history show where America uh, and the Axis Powers lo lo uh, uh, lost uh, World War II. And so America's divided with, um, you know, and under fascist rule. And in the middle, there's this neutral zone. And we thought, oh, what an interesting way to bring people to the show might be to create a radio station from this world, this alternate 1962, where rock and roll didn't happen. And we had uh, modern artists kind of remake songs from the period, but do it in the in the world of Man in the High Castle. Um, so, so we're kind of leaning into culture a bit there. And uh, and we created an influencer piece for that that we sent out to some people, some fans who are relatively well known uh, amongst um, you know pop culture aficionados uh, who had expressed interest in the show. And that was a you know it was a record player in a suitcase um, that was made to look like it was built in Germany and it was very retro. And it came with a, a seven-inch single that had two of the song, two of the eighteen songs that were recorded for Resistance Radio, and um, 
and the songs were put inside sleeves that made them look like the record itself was smuggled into something that looked like it would be legal under a fascist uh, government. But when you pull out the record, it had some handwriting from the resistance and the music itself was legal, really cool. right? And then, and it had a few other things. It had like a paper, it had a setup to make a paper turntable. So like, you know, thinking about the world and maybe not everybody has a turntable and people can turn around. And so, you know, someone would open this up and then, and by unpacking it, you're kind of telling the story of, oh, this record. And look, it's in this, it's in this sleeve and it's a, it's a resistance record and I'm going to play it for you now. And, you know, so we would, you know, you, you get people, uh, uh, making a, a YouTube video or live streaming to their fans, their unboxing of this thing and their playing of the song. And, and basically they're telling all the people who are watching their videos about the world of man in the high castle, but they're doing it in their own, in their own style. So that, so that it's truly authentic. It doesn't, and they acknowledge, they'll acknowledge Amazon sent this to me, you know, and, and we want, and we do encourage them to do that. So everybody. And also by doing that, also by doing that, not sending them a poster of the, the leading actor and saying, "Oh, look at this person. She plays this character." Or uh, in the case of the the outdoor board you put up for Hunted, you're not. It's not about a story about the character. You're letting people figure out the part that is interesting to them. Yes. So it could be for a vinyl collector, it's the device of the the suitcase uh, record player. But for someone who's into the actual music of it and these artists. Now they have an entry point to say this artist recorded this song from the '60s or the, the late '50s. I would imagine like yeah. that interesting. There's lots of ways. Yes, that. yes, that's exactly it. You just you want to in a weird way you're looking for something both highly specific and um, open enough for people to bring themselves to it. And I think when I talk about the gap, we also talk about that as white space. It's like just leaving white space for people to kind of see themselves in the work. Um, and, 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 you know, that's, you can do that. It's, it, that's much harder to do. I think when you're, uh, when you're in the storytelling mode, but when you're kind of designing an experience, it's essential. That, that space is actually where brands live. Yes. They occupy that space in between what the brand tells you and what I, what I have experienced. There's a middle ground that I say, Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what that brand should be like, or that's kind of what that story should be right. like. And when those things sync up, right, like when they feel right, it's so powerful. It's that's that's really where authenticity comes from. It doesn't come from your word choice. I mean, it does. But, you know, it's those are superficial ways. So authenticity is really when the story you're then the story you're hearing when you believe it. You know, it's why the storyteller who's saying it is just as important as what they're saying. Yeah, you know who's doing this really well, and I don't know if you're involved in this or not, but uh, Mr. Robot. Yes, uh, we're not involved in it. The emails they so you're you're an outside observer of that content, and they're doing it beautifully. I think it's a I think it's a beautiful example of doing it right, uh, you know. And I think it's 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 no surprise that the show creator is heavily involved in all of that work. You know, it's um, and the uh, the emails that I get from eCorp and the, the Easter eggs they put in the show yep. that you know in real time I'm on Reddit while I'm watching the show and trying to figure out oh wait wait I think I remember that screen I've seen that screen before where did that come right. from right and and I think that's another example when you look at the kind of show that Mr Robot is right and you see like um, you know episodes where like every sign on the highway is a weird number and then they realize like oh that if I put that number into my web browser I'm taken to you know that kind of 
<laughs> that kind of level of detail and depth is kind of exact. It, it's it's perfect expression of what the show's about. And even if you're not, even if I'm not personally going to go through and try to connect all those things myself, right? I love going to Reddit and seeing people put that all together. And it's kind of amazing. You go, wow, look at what they, look at what the show did. Look at what these people did. And it's kind of this thing. It's this story that's happening around me rather than a story that's being told to me. Because like you said, we're seeing it in real time. Yeah. And if you, you know, the uh, Brian Colangelo story, the the NBA uh, GM who had the five burner Twitter accounts, or perhaps his wife did, Um, you know, this story, the GM of the uh, 76ers. And uh, he had some, there were some Twitter accounts that were linked to him somehow. And they were talking shit about um, some of the players on the team and defending him and saying, Brian Colangelo is a great GM. He's smarter than the the previous, Sam Hinkie's the previous GM. And the internet figured that out. The, the internet lives to solve these problems. Like somebody posited this theory that, hey, I think there's a correlation between, you know, where this guy is posting from and where these other five accounts are posting from and his point of view and how they're defending him. Right. And then the internet, the hive mind, jumped in and started saying, oh, yeah, and look at this. This mobile number belongs to this person and this belongs to that. And, this, and they connected all the dots for the journalist who finally... Uh, told that story and Mr. Robot's the same way and I I have a feeling a lot of the stories that you guys create it's not even so much retelling the story it's nudging someone and go hey take a look at this I found this puzzle piece right right it 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 definitely is or like um uh what's I'm trying to remember the name of the actor uh, Shia LaBeouf right who was in the Transformers movie right when he did his art project he had some project uh, and I forget the details of it, but it was at the Museum of the Moving Image here in New York, and it was it, it involved oh, a camera oh, with uh, live streaming. Take down this, take down this. Flag. Yes, yeah. and then he put it on the road and he moved it, and how people on Reddit uh, were looking at this live stream of the flag and were able to to with a combination of noise and seeing an airplane go by, triangulate the location of the flag <laughs> by tracking down flight patterns okay. and like crazy, right? Like. Something that no one individual alone can do, but that when 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 po- when given a challenge, um, you know, people like to come together and step up to solve it. Especially if it's if it's a, it, it, you know, those are the kinds of challenges we we can solve or we feel like we can solve. And I think it's a kind of a release in some ways for a lot of people, you know, because life itself is complicated and culture is complicated, and there's lots of problems we feel powerless to solve. And so when I think somebody puts out there a mystery that is solvable. I, I think it attracts a lot of people. Yeah. When they, when there's a problem to be solved that you can solve from your laptop and you, right. <laughs> it's kind of easy to, you know, Google it or put in coordinates or look at the weather or whatever they did to figure out where that flag was. Right. Going. You know, you're essentially casting um, those people as characters in your, in your story. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, I have a question. You talk about the experience of stories, uh, and there's a lot of agencies out there pitching storytelling. Right. Uh, and, you know, talking about getting your story across, but you take the distinct, I, I can tell you avoid that word, storytelling. What what holds agencies back, what holds most agencies back from crossing the ravine from storytelling to creating these types of stories that, that 
get retold that people experience. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I don't avoid storytelling. Well, I, I, I have lately because I think over the last couple of years, it's that thing that we do in the ad industry, which is where we take a word and then we try to expand its meaning in order to dust the word over everything we do, even when it's not appropriate. And then and then people get sick of that. and They go, oh, it's a buzzword. You know, and the idea that someone in our industry would actually say the words storytelling is a buzzword is like if you stop and think about it and go. Yeah, no, it's actually just being human. But, you know, in a, we, we like to ruin those. We like to ruin words by expanding the definition until it's meaningless. So I, I, I do. But but what I think to me, what's really interesting. Right. And this goes back to my days as an independent filmmaker. And, and, and when you sit across from somebody and you're asking them to give you money to tell a story, to, to raise money to make a movie. You know, it's not enough to pitch a great story. You have to get, you have to tell explain to those people how they're going to get their money back and why people are going to be interested in watching your movie, right? And and part of that so that as a as a producer, right? As a storyteller, which is what the producers are in movies, you have to you have to you can't you're not just making art. I mean, we, we think that way, but really when you're raising money, you are, you have to show people why someone will pay money to experience your story. And that is a real challenge. And I think that changes your perspective and on the responsibility. There's what you want to do. And then there's what you have to do in order to get the money to do what you want to do. And you're trying to find that perfect marriage. And what I found when I started working with ad agencies was that the concept of paid media had made a lot of agencies lazy when it comes to the kinds of stories they tell. And uh, I remember asking all the time when, when, when we would be riffing with agency folks, uh, story ideas. And I would say, why, why would someone like, why would someone watch that and then go take the next step? And, uh, and, and I, could, I didn't really actually understand this when I first started working in advertising and they, and they could, they often just couldn't give an answer, right? Which is as an indie film, indie film producer, you better have an answer or you're not going to get money out of that potential investor you're talking to. And so, uh, and it, yeah, for the, for the most ad agencies, when you, when you started, it was, well, because the client is paying for this 30 second story. And so I'm going to write it or a six. Right. And, and. It's got a good punchline, right. or the tagline's pretty good. And so I was—that's all—that's really all the answer. Yeah, and I was in a—I was in a long meeting where we were brainstorming with some agency folks, and uh, and it was probably you know maybe my second or third uh, uh, job in the ad industry uh, at post Blair Witch though, and I I was still a smoker then, and I went downstairs to have a cigarette, and there was a, the strategist who was in the room was out there, and he came up to me and he says, hey. I see your frustration. He's, Let me explain it to you because these guys is like they come up with stories and then they're and then our clients spend millions of dollars to put those stories in front of people. So they don't ever have to ask the question of why anyone would watch it. The answer is they have no choice. <laughs> and I kind of went, oh, wow. Like it just, oh, wow. <laughs> and I hadn't thought of that. And so, but that really helped me kind of understand the difference. And so I went, okay. And, you know, I started to feel like, okay, then, then that, this point of view is what I, that's what I need to bring to this team. <laughs> right. And I need to push for that. Um, and, but it, for me, it was really, really eye opening to have it laid out just like that. 
Um, and this was, this was, again, this would have been in the early 2000s. So I think this was still at a time when the large agencies were struggling to figure out um, what digital means to their work. Oh, you're saying it. You're saying it like it's past that. <laughs> I, I think a lot of the agencies are still struggling to figure out what it means. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, so here's the other thing, right? The other thing is that it's, it's not, we don't deal in codified formats, you know, and, and you look at like, why is video so popular now in advertising? I think because it's a codified format and everybody feels comfortable about it. Right. But when I, you know, I, I gave you an example of, of paid out of home and influencer marketing as two ways that we kind of launch stories and how, how, how we've done the gap and we've done it a, a number of ways. But um, when you're crafting the experience, it's different because all the variables are different. What's the story you're trying to tell? What do you want people to feel? Um, who are you trying to reach? Um, what is it you want them to do once you've reached them? All of those things mean that what you're making is essentially has to be very unique. And it's hard to produce, it's hard to build a giant organization that's constantly building something new. You know, and that's where, that's. Yeah, and, or, and not know the, the profit. Like, how are we going to make money from this? Right. You know, we're going to create something over here and something over there and something over here and how do we make how do we make money right and so oftentimes you know it's it's what's new about the work we do isn't necessarily like when you start to break down an experience into its individual components you start to realize like oh you're doing an out-of-home ad it's just different oh you're doing a, a a website or you're doing some content for social feeds or you're doing you know, whatever it is you're making. Oh, you're going to put something on TV. It's just kind of slightly different. And when you break it down to its components, then all of a sudden people can understand it. But what you run into then is, is both on the client side and in the agency side are all the silos of the different people who do those individual things and don't often have one person who's kind of overseeing it from that story and that experience perspective. How much, Mike, when you, when you're creating these stories and how much, thought do you give to what action do I want them to take? Is it, do you plot that out after the kind of the journey of the story or do you do that at the top and then create the components yeah. below that or off of the action? Well, it, it, so it's twofold. I think in some cases um, there's what we want them to do, which is part of the experience of the story. And then there's what we want them to do. The, um, the KPIs for the work, right. Um, and yeah. so we always start with the what we want them to do, the KPIs of the work at the top. And and I think, you know, the one thing I always tell clients is like, look, we can develop a, a participatory experience that will achieve whatever goal you want. You just need to be very clear about that goal up front and not change it in the process. Right. Because we do develop very specifically for those outcomes. It's like, show us what dials you want to change. And we'll develop something that will affect those those dials that will that will move move that needle uh, to mix the metaphors up. But um, um, it's when it's when we get asked to do one thing and we come and we generate the concept and then other people start to come in and start asking, well, but it doesn't do this or it should do this also. And it should. And they start to try to load more on top of it where it, things can get to be a challenge because, you know, at some point you get to a part where you go, well, you know, if we wanted to do all of these things, I probably would, you know, the best thing to do would be go back to zero and start over again, rather than try to bolt yeah, that's, things that's on. That's the same, uh, 
that's consistent with any kind of creative commission where it's you agree on something at the top and you bring the idea and then when they see the idea they start weighing things on it that that hold it down and then by the time you're done nobody even remembers why we started doing right. it. Right. So so that's a challenge. You gotta you, keep you um, have to keep keep your eye on the ball and you have to kind of keep everybody else's eye on that ball too. And how much of your how much of your work is dedicated to keeping everybody in line and I'm talking about people on the brand side, maybe agency partners and internally. Yeah, it's it's um I mean we 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 work in, in very small teams. Um so it's not too hard internally because we're all kind of aligned um in our in our vision for for the work we do. Um externally it it depends. I mean generally speaking what's what's been great about Campfire is that if you look at our work it's it's very consistent in terms of I think the point of view. Like when when I when we talk about the design of stories, if you look at our case study, you see there's a consistency there, and you don't see a lot of things where you go, well, that's not really about designing the experience of stories, or that's not really participatory, right? And so when a client comes to uh, an agency like Campfire, when a client comes to a group like ours, they've already kind of crossed that bridge into deciding they want what it is we do. So I think we have. Uh, we, we don't have as hard, uh, we don't have as hard a, a path there as maybe a, m- a more traditional agency trying to sell something in that's non-traditional. Got it. Cause it's, cause the client doesn't even know what they're buying and then they get, they see the concept and they say, well, I don't know, is this what we wanted or do we just want to do some, some, Right. Like, you know, you do, you, you do, campfire is not the kind of place you come to if you want some sixties. It's just not what we do. So when you when you when you've engaged a, 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 an agency like Campfire, you've decided you want to do something participatory. You're looking to activate a group of people, um, and, and you know, and 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 the kind of work we do is going to help you achieve those goals. And then we go ahead and we work and we work with our clients to kind of develop to whatever level. You know, some clients are more sophisticated and willing to take a bigger chance and others aren't. So a lot of it is about that communication and trying to keep that communication open. I mean, for us, we're project-based. So we also have a pressure on ourselves, which is we're only as good as the last project. And so for us, it's very, very important that we achieve the goals that we set out to um, and that we get, you know, repeat business as well as, uh, you know, people see, view the work as successfully achieving what it is we set out to achieve. So that's that's an essential um, part of the whole process. But like I said, most of our clients have, are, have already made the jump just by giving us a call. Yep. And Nate, to that point, a lot of the examples you've given have been entertainment, you know, uh, television shows or films or, or other kind of entertainment arts that have that experiential piece baked into it but do you how would you do this if you're assigned a toothpaste brand for example or <laughs> you know a traditional you know the hubba bubba calls you and says we want to we want a story right give us right. you know help us help us do this how much different is the process or is it really just about getting the the people on the brand side to understand exactly what they're doing it's um well well so creatively it's a it's a very different process right like with the entertainment companies oftentimes the the narrative oftentimes we're not really we're not able to use the main characters and things right so a lot of what we do is really actually world building uh, or building around a story or taking a piece of a story and expressing it in a different medium than television or video games um, 
Um, but but when it's a brand, and we've done work for brands, right? We've done work for you know uh, a long time ago. We did a lot of work for Snapple to to to, to bring it down to a. a, a a consumer package good um we've done work for infinity for car brands so um when when the brand doesn't have a uh, when the brand has a brand story right which is like the values they stand for or you know kind of the story they tell from a marketing perspective but they don't have a narrative the way a show like man in the high castle might have or mr robot might have um it's it's very different because we get to develop that and and so, you know, sometimes, sometimes it, it starts with, uh, you know, a brand like Snapple, for instance, has, there's some unique aspects about a brand like that where they, they actually have fans, you know, and you don't think of somebody as being a Snapple fan. I don't think people say, Oh, I'm a huge Snapple fan. Um, you know, like the way they would, you know, I love, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, but they are, there are, there are, there are fans and they are, um, engaging in their fandom in certain ways. And so we kind of look, we'll, you know, the way we start is by looking, where are those fans, even if they're very small and what are they doing? Right. How are they expressing that fandom in whatever it is? And then how do we support that from a brand? And then how do we sometimes, sometimes it's about making that activity action the story. You know, sometimes it's about, there's different ways in, but usually it starts with the behave, with fan behaviors. And then you kind of build back from there. Uh, that's one way. In, in the case of something like Infinity, uh, we, we got a brief that was actually, you know, a luxury car brand wanting a, uh, a film. And our approach to that was to go back and say, mm, no, you don't, you don't need a film. You know, you need something that's more participatory. And, you know, and, and what we gave them kind of ultimately, it, it was it didn't stray too far away from a film, but it was, it was definitely participatory and the participation and the actions we were asking people to do kind of were allowing them to discover the car itself rather than trying to tell a story about the car. You know? Right. Yeah. I think back to the, uh, the BMW films of the, of the mid nineties was the first, Hey, we're not going to do a commercial. We're going to do something right. else. And it featured the car, but you could watch those things and have no idea or, any more desire to buy a BMW than you did before. If you watched right. them, and they were star-powered, and they were very star-driven, and um, I think the Infinity work is a great example of being really curious about the car itself, or the brand itself, versus just being really beautiful uh, short right. stories. And there is a story there, and the story itself is rooted in kind of the message. You know, it was it was it was rooted in the same kind of story that they were telling in their um, 30s and 60s. Right. So it was deepening that story and it was broadening that world. But, yeah, I mean, when you finished looking at uh, Deja Vu, you also had an understanding of why the car was special. Right. Right. You know, right. without 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 feeling like you watched an ad, hopefully. Right. <laughs> yep. Which um, I'm, we're, we're rounding third here. I just have one question for you about media and platforms. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that. Media has been something that's a bit of a roadblock for agencies. We're, we're beholden to formats that exist, and we make our money on producing 30s or 60s or print ads or you know whatever whatever the format is. Which formats or which platforms do you think have the most potential for triggering people? You know, which which have you had the most fun exploring recently that will get people to to take the next step into the story? 
Yeah, it, I, I will say this is the thing that I think uh, the, the question you just asked is the one that has changed the most over the years for me. Um, because when it started, it was just digital, right? And then the social platforms emerged out of that. And in the beginning, it was the social platforms. And now I kind of see the social platforms as like we've turned it, we've managed to turn those into the banner ads of today, where, you know, it's pay to play. And since we're paying, we're just putting ads in front of people. And we're not really doing anything um, special or interesting uh, with it. Um, and so I tend to what's what's happening now. And I think this the answer to this question always changes with the culture. So it's very much kind of following what's happening in culture. And I think what we're seeing in culture right now is that what people really value more than anything else are physical experiences. And those are things that people are willing to really pay for and um, get out of the house and do. And so I, I we've been doing a lot more physical experiences and in, in particular connecting kind of content and digital experiences with physical experiences. But the, 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 the physical nature of the kinds of experiences we can build are really, really powerful. And even though they tend to hit smaller, if they're done well and they're designed, they're just, if they're designed in such a way that everybody who experiences it really walks away with a story to tell, they'll tell it and it expands the, the scale of experiences. And so that's, that's something that's been really, really interesting for some time. And then I'm also interested in the fact that we're, as we're starting to see how constricted the social platforms are and how generally unfriendly to advertising things are, I think we're slowly, very slowly starting to see a pushback to, you know, some aspect of the marketing budget has to be doing something that's remarkable. Can't just be dumping endless loads of content in people's social feeds because we ignore it now. Um, and so being remarkable and doing something memorable is kind of just in general coming back into play. And I think once, once we start approaching the work in that format again, I think it opens up things. It, op- it allows us to do things that a lot of people maybe in the past have declared dead. You know how everybody goes, oh, the microsite is dead. Oh, you know, Facebook yeah. is dead. Oh, Twitter is dead. Whatever. You know, to me, nothing's dead. It's just a matter of whether you're using it well or not. So. Yeah. When you, when you plug into it, it's, it wakes up. Again. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, I do think as we see this kind of, um, as this realization that, uh, um, there is not going to be, I mean, I, I think, so, I think the smarter brands are starting to realize that there's just not going to be this codified place like it used to be where you can go to the big three networks and buy all the eyeballs. You just, you know, uh, uh, the idea that you're going to be able to do that in digital is just, it's constantly changing. It's always going to be in flux. And there's always going to be a certain amount of people who are going after the new. My kids don't use most of the platforms that I've been using for years. And they're not going to, um, you know, yeah. And you know, that's, that's just incredibly different because, you know, my parents watch TV and I watch TV and, you know, up to a certain point, my kids watch TV, <laughs> but, um, so it's, it, that, that's the change. And the, that change is, is, is got to force us back out to think larger about kind of what is it we really want to achieve. And I think that's, so, you know, the, 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 I always like to look at, at two things. I like to look at platforms that people have declared dead or have sort of walked away from because I go, ooh, is there a chance to do something remarkable in that space now because there's not as much noise, right? 
Um, or I like to look at um, emerging platforms. And I think, you know, frankly, podcasting is a platform that's been emerging for, you know, 15, 20 years now, it feels like, um, since the beginning of the iP- I- I- iPod. But I-, I would say, <laughs> like, when I when we were making Blair Witch Project, right, independent film had the kind of energy and passion and enough, just enough infrastructure around it in the late 90s that I see emerging around podcasts. Right. So it's podcasting has moved out of just, you know, people just doing their own thing and releasing it as a hobby. There's enough infrastructure. We have enough companies now that are are capitalized. We have um, an industry kind of working around it. There's there's advertising and there are and there's money around it. But that money and advertising haven't shit haven't mutated the shape of it into something horrible yet. Um, And so there's this kind of. There's, to me, I look at podcasting, I go, that's just an incredible opportunity space that a few brands have dipped into, but not, not well. And if, and if their idea of dipping into it is by buying ads across podcast networks, then they're doing it. Well, yeah, I mean, you brought, you brought up the idea of once it becomes an ad commodity, we don't do anything special. We just put an ad on it. And and there's been, uh, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, uh, don't serve ads on here, but if I did, they would be for Squarespace, VIPs, <laughs> and the same four brands that are on every goddamn podcast that I listen to. The what's interesting to me is what some of the bigger producers are doing, the, the branded uh, podcast that they're doing. Yes. For you know, Gimlet has the whole creative side, and some of those really suck. I mean, some of them are just infomercials, and I just sniff those out immediately. Yep. But um, some of the ones that are a story and every now and then they very subtly refer to it to a brand and it's you know the whole thing is bought out by yes. a brand those i think have, as a fiction i think those tap into what you're trying to do it's like let's just make someone feel yes. something and then if they relate that feeling to this brand that's a hundred percent I, I that that is the opportunity in the space and that opportunity is not driven by big data and it's not driven by a trading desk it's just you know that is and that's why I think in many ways, it's, you know, the advertising industry has become more challenging, too, because, um, you know, for the most part, I think this is a creative industry and uh, and it's a creative industry where uh, so many people are invested in trying to uh, productize that creativity and trying to basically scrub it away because creativity is also messy and it doesn't it doesn't look good. Yeah, it's hard to quantify. It's hard to deal with on a spreadsheet. But you know, ultimately, that's what this is. And so, you know, you have a few brands like GE, I think, taking a shot in the space. But I think brands are really, really tentative. I mean, you look at audio and you go, it's really not that expensive to produce comparatively. It's like, you know, you could probably squeak by with a, you know, t- you know, a few less banner ads. <laughs> How about take some of that media dollars, put it into producing something really interesting on a podcast um, that really relates to your brand. Again, you know, the story should relate. The story should make me interested in the brand or the product. Not, it shouldn't be that the story is telling me the story of the brand or the product, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Don't blow the mystique. <laughs> I'm recording from a huge studio with uh, 20, 20 assistants running around. It's uh, it's not just me at my desk plugged into my regular laptop. So, exactly. Right. The, the stakes are so low. You could produce it. I've, I've been visiting agencies as I've been doing these talks and seeing kind of 
how lo-fi can you get? I think I'm the lowest, but seeing how simple it is to set up a couple mics and, and record some dialogue and have a Foley artist do a little bit of sound is not the same investment as uh, a video or a TV spot. And therefore, I'm shocked when I don't see more brands venturing out and trying conceptual audio, given how many people at the app. Right, or, or the ones that do are doing it with the wrong people. Right. Like this, you know, you do not, you, you should be going to your traditional agency and asking them to craft a narratively driven podcast. You know, it's just not a good idea. Go to people who have expressed a, a capability in spinning a great story because it's a lot easier for someone who's familiar with the format or familiar with that kind of storytelling to uh, imbue the uh, to create a story that embeds a brand properly. I think then it is the other way around. Totally, totally the same page. Well, Mike, I I really appreciate you making time to join us today. Thank you so much. This has been. Uh, I don't care if anybody listened like it or not. I I took a lot of notes and got a lot out of this, so I should probably send. If you want to send me an invoice, I probably would. <laughs> Thank you. I had a great time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And hey, Mike, where can people find you online? Uh, Best place to go is campfirenyc.com for Campfire. And I'm on uh, Twitter sporadically when I can take it um, (laughs) at uh, at Mike Manello. Got it. Yeah, I will uh, link to both of those places in the show notes. And uh, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that was awesome. I'm going to just hit...